We're going to be starting here in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, we kicked off a series last week uh, that is uh, very important. In fact, uh, I, I, I mentioned it last week. If I were to write a book, it would be on this subject. I'm not going to write a book, but it would certainly, if I did, it'd be on this subject. And, and that is the subject of head versus heart. And uh, the, the, the idea for this, the, uh, the impetus of this series came from the famous proverb, chapter 3, verse 5, which says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Uh, this, like so many scriptures, are so memorable and recitable, and, uh, and, and they sort of become like fortune cookie kind of sayings. And I think we reduce them to that just a little kind of cute little mantra. But uh, this, this particular proverb, in my point of view, my perspective, it, it profiles the two approaches that, uh, that we take towards life and faith. Uh, these are the two paths. Uh, and, and there's not a third. This is it. This is, this, these are the two paths and our approaches towards life and faith and everything. In fact, which path we choose affects everything. So uh, whether we, we trust the Lord with our whole heart or we lean on our own understanding, either of those two choices, decisions, directions affects absolutely everything. In fact, I would say there's nothing that that decision doesn't affect in our own personal life as it relates to what we do, where we go, how we think, how we feel. And so we're taking a few weeks here on Sundays as well is within our, our small, small groups. We don't always kind of connect the the sermon to the small group meetings, but this, this time we are. And, uh, and we're talking about considering what it means to, to live a life trusting the Lord with our hearts. Uh, now, for the record, I, I don't want to pretend like this is uh, a revolutionary thought. This is not a new concept. Um, in fact, the opposite. This is uh, really, this is simply a conversation about living and walking by faith. That's, that's all this is, and, and this is nothing new. This is not new information. The only thing that is really going to maybe be perceived as being new or, or it's going to sound maybe new to us is the terminology that we use, and, and, and really it's because we're trying to get specific as to where this faith and this belief, this trusting in our heart comes from, where, where it resides, and I think that's something that we don't norm, normally talk about or think about because it's just we, we we typically categorize this idea of faith in this nebulous kind of weird we don't fully understand it and really the way that we talk about faith convey faith and deliberate about faith is normally putting it in a category of a mental destination uh, faith is normally talked about as as if it's entirely intellectual uh, the importance of what we're doing through the series is using scripture and, and the definitions that Scripture gives to bring clarity and definition to where tr- faith really resides, where that happens within us, and, and also what our greatest obstacle is in walking and living by faith, which that's what's said here. Uh, the contrast is clear. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. So leaning on our own understanding is actually the greatest obstacle of walking and living by faith. And so it's a juxtaposition that is clear and that is, that is important to understand. So I'd like to look uh, today, starting in, in a, um, uh, a story 
that we all know. It is a very familiar story, and it's probably the quintessential story as it relates to walking by faith. And that is the story of, of Peter, uh, Jesus first, but then Peter walking on the water, which to my knowledge, he's the only human to ever have done that. Uh, so Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 28 through 33. This is uh, just a quick uh, part of this story. And so this is what it says. Peter said to him, uh, this is said to Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And then he said, come. And then Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped and those who were in the boat worshiped Jesus saying, you are certainly God's son. Um, of course, Jesus gave them some time. He was taking some time, and uh, he, he, I'll get with you guys later. Uh, they're they're uh, on the shore. Of the, 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 this is the Sea of Galilee. They're, they're, they're crossing, uh, crossing the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus decides, I'm just going to kind of walk out to the boat on the water. Uh, their uh, immediate impression is that this is a ghost. Peter's like, hey, I think that's Jesus. <laughs> He does weird things, and uh, this might be Jesus. So he calls out, Christo, <laughs> and, uh, and Jesus is like, Polo. And so uh, they, uh, they realize it's Jesus. So, so I don't know where this thought came from. This would not be my logical thought. Peter's like, if Jesus can do that, then I can too. And so he, he says, Jesus, can, can, I, can I do that? And Jesus is like, come on, buddy. And so he stepped out of the boat. Now, I want to I make a, a point here. The minute Peter took his Tiva sandal and put it over the side of the boat and stepped on the water, logic and reason are done. That's out the window. There is no logic. There is no intellectualism. There is no figuring things out. Logic and reason have just left. They've left the building. Uh, the, the famous, the famous uh, uh, prophet... Mike Tyson once said that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Uh, you get into a fight and you've got a plan. You know what I'm going to do, and then you get hit in the mouth. The plan goes away. Peter, stepping out of the, blo- the boat, the bloat. He was bloated. So he stepped out of the boat, and the plan was gone. All plans, all logic, all reason are no longer factors. And so he is, he is actually, in a literal sense, walking by faith. There is no other reason. There's no other explanation. There's no other thing that is, that is propping him up. He's not figured out a formula or a recipe. He's not, doing, he's not living out 10 steps to your best life now. He is, he is walking by faith. Faith is not a product of rationale. Faith is a product of relationship. It is not a product of rationale. It is a product of relationship. In fact, I would say oftentimes, if not most times, it is flying, faith is flying in the face of rationale. It is so far out of the depths 
of understanding that is no longer, you can't even see understanding from where you stand. And the only reason that Peter stepped out of the boat was because he trusted the person who was in front of him. It was a connection and a relationship. It was not common sense. It was not logic and reason. He, he trusted the Lord with his heart. Therefore, he stepped on the water and walked on it. That's walking by faith. It was his trust in Jesus, his relationship with him. After a few steps, however, you, you can see it happening. Peter, all of a sudden, is like, oh my gosh, I'm walking on water. He is Christ-conscious. He is fixated on Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, his, his, his perspective shifts. And he becomes extremely self-conscious. And all he can think about is his circumstances. His in a, I can't do this. This isn't possible for me. And, and you can see him getting in his head. And so he's, he steps out of the boat out of trust in his heart. And then the elevator moves up. And all of a sudden, he is, he is very much in his head. He's overthinking, overanalyzing. He is becoming completely consumed by his current situation. I can completely understand that. I relate to it. I get it. I did that today already, this morning. I, I understand it. And this is what Jesus says to him when he, starts to, when he, when he sinks and everything. He's like, hey, buddy, uh, where is your faith? So what, is he, what does he say to him? What does he call into question? What does he bring up? This is actually his number one critique of his disciples, is this very statement, this very question. Where is your faith? In other words, why did you leave your heart and move into your head? Now, this, there's an interesting phrase in verse 30, and uh, I love this, and I, I don't know that I've ever sat and thought about this, or, or really kind of considered what, what he says here. Peter says, uh, what it says about Peter, seeing the wind, he became frightened. That's an interesting sentence. I don't think we can see wind. Um, you can't. You can't see wind. It's impossible. Now, we can see the effects of wind. We can see the evidence of wind. But I, I think it's an interesting statement. Seeing the wind, he became frightened. Um, the wind that he thought he saw that he couldn't really see became more real and more overwhelming than the Jesus, the Savior, that he could see. And I think the, of course, he's scared how much more human beings who experience storms that they can see have being overwhelmed by those things compared to the, the Savior that they can't see. I, I almost think the author, that this is being written in such a way that we, can, we, we see the advantage that Peter had in the situation to almost give understanding and empathy to us who don't have the physical presence of Jesus in front of us that we can see doing what we need to do. I almost think the juxtaposition is so that we kind of have an understanding of this is even harder. 
Now, I, I, I've never walked on water personally, and uh, I know that's hard to believe. And, um, but I, I, I'm writing this message this past week, and I found myself more than any other time relating to Peter in this moment. And it is not, has nothing to do, like I said, uh, it's not like m- miracles are happening in terms of walking on water, doing something uh, really out of the ordinary. It, it's just that I, I know what it feels like to have my thoughts be overwhelming and consuming, and for my fears and my anxiety to completely envelop me to where it's all I can see, think, or feel and I know the feeling of sinking. I know the sinking feeling. I know it. I know the feeling where things are going well and you're, exact, you're on top of it. And I know that feeling, and, and that feeling is intoxicating, to be honest with you. It is amazing. It's euphoric. To know that I am trusting Jesus and He is carrying me is the greatest feeling that one can feel. Um... But it, it can go away quicker than any other feeling that you can imagine. And um, it can go away in, in an instant. And, and I usually, I do my best to practice what I preach. Today, I, I'm doing my best to, to preach what I'm practicing. Because um, I'm in it. I'm, I'm, I'm living this one. This is fresh paint for me. And, um, and, and I'll, I'll, I don't like getting terribly specific a lot about my own personal uh, battle struggles just because I don't like making the conversation uh, specific to me because it's not about me. But I, I figure I, I'll go first today. And so um, when I began ministry, it's 25 years now this year. So when I began ministry 25 years ago, um, I was a wide-eyed optimist for sure, a little naive, and I certainly know that there was um, some 20, 21-year-old know-it-all-ism ego mixed in there uh, that, like most 20, 21-year-olds, I thought that I'd figure things out and, and knew more than everybody else. And so, But the heart behind ministry for me, um, I genuinely loved Jesus still do, uh, and I genuinely loved people, still do, and I genuinely wanted to be in a place where I could love and serve and connect people to Jesus. That was, that was the beginning for me, and it has not changed. Uh, that's important to me. The, the downside, and, and something that, that I was not warned of, and I, I, no one told me about, was that over time, there is a, um, a heartbreak that is um, involved in ministry that comes standard. It comes equipped standard. A continual, perpetual heartbreak that is always there. And, and, and a lot of it has to do with um, doing... So we've done this church for over... 10 years, I think we're coming up on 10 and a half years here in Chattanooga. Um, Over time, the people that you connect with and do life with and love and serve and cry with and grieve with and celebrate with and rejoice with, uh, eventually most of those people move on. 
And um, sometimes it's beautiful and legitimate and awesome and wonderful, but um, a lot of times it's not. And that part of ministry, I am not built for. I I am not cut out for that. And so um, it, it, it hurts. And someone offered me, uh, I asked a question of a, a pastor who had been in it for a long, longer than I had. And I said, dude, how do, you de- how do you deal? How do you survive this? And he, it did not affect him the same way as me. In fact, he would normally rejoice over the people that left. Um, he was kind, but he was, I don't know. Maybe he had a better grasp on it than I did. Uh, but he, he, said, he said this. He said, Chris you got to keep your soft heart, but you got to, along the way, develop thick skin. And uh, I, he told me that. This is years ago. I have not figured that out, and I have no idea. I'm not, that's not, I think my skin's thinner than it's ever been, and um, it hurts. And so, uh, subconsciously, without really understanding or knowing that I do this, there is a survival mechanism that has happened within me, and I call it turtling, and so uh, seasonally, over time, I will withdraw, and uh, the walls go up, and, and I'm less emotionally accessible, and I'm not, that's not on purpose, I don't want to do that, I don't mean to do that, it, it's just like there's something in me that I, I don't know that how else to survive continual heartbreak? And, um, and people are like, yeah, don't take it personally. Okay, yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, so I don't like that I do that. And in fact, uh, I, I, I hesitate to share the story, but I will. Um, a couple, this is years and years ago. A couple let us know, hey, we're leaving, but we want to have like a farewell lunch. I was like, oh, this sounds like fun. Um, and so one of the reasons they gave uh, for, for was, Chris, you're, with, you're withdrawn, and I can't really, they're calling it out, they're saying it. I can't really connect with you emotionally. You're, you're, you're guarded and withdrawn. And I, I'm not a defensive person. I try to be very honest. And so if I, I I'm quick to apologize. And I, I said, I'm very, very sorry. And I see what you're saying. And I, I agree with you. But I said, but you're leaving. Is there any wonder why, why I do that? I mean, this, is kind of, this lunch is kind of proof positive why that happens. And so um, I don't like that I do it. And, and in fact, I hate that I do that. But uh, it, it is... It is something that we develop over time, that we, we try to find a way to secure ourselves, to grab onto something, to brace ourselves for the storms that we face. Now, I'm not bringing this up for any other reason. I'm not bringing this up for you to feel sympathy for me or anything. I, am not, I, don't, I don't need it. Uh, this is, I chose this path, you know. No one pushed me into it except for Jesus. Um, I chose this path. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because every single person in this room has similar experiences. This situ- what I'm talking about describing for myself is specific and unique to me. 
And every person in this room and every person that we encounter everywhere has a storm in a situation that is specific and unique to them that they're facing on a continual basis. This storm that um, Peter is in the middle of is not the, he's not the only person experiencing the storm. The guys in the boat are also in the storm, but they have a different perspective. It's affecting Peter differently. The people on the shore are also in the storm, but they're, they're being affected completely differently. So things that we all face in life are going to affect us differently. Some parents have children and more children and more children. And it is the most joyous, amazing, beautiful gift that they've ever experienced in their entire life. Some parents have children and it is so hard and so difficult there is instantaneous like what have we done and it is it is challenging it is heartbreaking it's the same experience but two people experience that same experience completely differently there's entrepreneurs that are out there who have started businesses that are living life and smiling because they're doing, they're living their dream, they're doing what they're built to do, and they are on top of their game and loving every second of it. There are entrepreneurs who have stepped out and they are being completely decimated by this enterprise. They're, they're losing sleep, they're being emotionally crushed, overwhelmed by the stress and the continual panic of being out there without working without a net. There are teachers that I've talked to who are completely built to teach. And you think, man, they're, they're, they cannot wait to get out of bed in the morning. They're prepared, they're planned, they love every second of it. And then I've talked to so many teachers, especially over the last couple of years, we have so many in our church, so many friends of mine are teachers, that they're like, I wish I could do anything but this. And it is becoming more and more increasingly difficult and more and more of a struggle every single day. Same circumstance, it hits us all differently. And this is why, and this is a side point, uh, this isn't part of the message, but this is why we got to develop some grace for other people. Because we don't know. If someone is, is drowning and flailing, and they accidentally elbow you who are trying to help them in the nose, are you going to hold a grudge against them? Like, you broke my nose. No. You, there is going to be understanding and empathy that you are going through hell, and you flung your arm. In, in our modern culture, we've got zero tolerance for anything. We're so quick to write people off and like, ah, offense is living right here, just right below the surface all the time. You offended me. Like, that's the worst thing in the world. And the truth is, we, there's no time to stop. We don't take time to stop and consider, maybe they're going through a very difficult storm right now. 
hurt people end up hurting people. And maybe they're scared. Maybe they're flailing a little bit. And, and if I cap, happen to catch an elbow, can I love people through that? I think if anybody is going to have grace for anybody, it should be believers. But grace comes through trusting Jesus as our source. Um, everyone experiences different storms or the same storms different ways. And so somewhere along the way, uh, we get in our heads that we can somehow control circumstances in such a way that we're no longer affected by that. That is, that is to say, we can control the, the weather. Um, you can't. Uh, I joke oftentimes when I officiate weddings, uh, I put in a request for a beautiful day. So uh, hopefully, I get the hotline to, to the Lord and so hopefully everything will be great. Uh, I wish I, control, I could control the way, I wish I could control anything, to be honest with you. But, but us trying to fix and change the world around us and the circumstances around us is a fool's errand. You can't control the weather. And truth is, we can't even wrap our mind around the storms that we're facing. We can't even understand what's happening most of the time. But somewhere along the way, we start to have this idea that if we just knew why, if we knew when, if we knew how, if you knew what, we'd finally earn our way to peace. And so peace is this kind of mental path. If I could just ascend to understanding, if I just knew the reason, if I just knew the why, if I knew the what, what is this? Why is this? How is this going to end? How is this happening? If I just had more information, peace is at the tail end of that information. If, if peace were intellectual and information was our ticket to peace, we would be living in the most peaceful time in this world's history. Because more information is readily available to you right this second than any other time in, in human history, yet this is the most anxious, most fearful most, most stressed out generation in recent memory. Peace is not relative to information. In fact, I would say it this way. Peace is not intellectual at all. It's not a, it's not a place that we can get to in our heads. Our brains, they want, our brains want to compartmentalize everything and put everything in its place and and, um, but there's so many things that just, they don't fit. I, there's, this has become such a meaningful psalm to me. Uh, it's Psalm 131, and uh, just three verses, one through three. Um, this, it says this, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy th- myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and I have quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is a psalm of David. Um, And David obviously was the most powerful, knowledgeable human on the planet. Uh, And he was also, he was going through a lot of difficult circumstances. Uh, some of those just being, they are just part of being that kind of ruler, the stresses and the, the pressures, but also a lot of stuff, 
uh, as we all know, the story, how the story goes, a lot of incidents that he caused on himself. He brought the, own, the repercussions on himself. And so, um, but this is in a moment of amazing sobriety and clarity, David says that I, I, I have not lifted my, my, uh, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I don't occupy myself with things too great, too marvelous for me. What that means is King David has a realization that God is so far out of his league that there's no comparison. And so what he says, being God, the guy, there was no Google back then. There was only this person who is kind of the hub of all information and all wisdom and all prophecy and all, all spiritual knowledge and all human knowledge. Everything kind of meets at David, at his palace, and he is sitting there saying that there are so many things that are above my pay grade, and he was comfortable with this, this category that I would say is the God category. He's comfortable saying there is things that I don't know that fit into this God category that I know I'm not going to figure out. Now, that God category goes away as human beings become more and more convinced that they are their own God. And that's the fall, and that's sin. Sin is man trying to substitute himself for God. That's what sin is. Base definition, sin is man trying to be his own God. And there is a natural gravitational lean that is becoming more and more pervasive in our world and our culture that people, human beings, are resentful to God, resentful to Christianity because it is, it is a statement that they themselves are not God. Now, they may not use those terms, but that is, in fact, reality. And so here's David saying, I, I know more than everybody else. I've done more than everybody else. Remember the Goliath thing? That was me. I, I am a big deal. But there are so many things that, that, that fit into a category that is so beyond me that I just have to trust God. I simply have to live in a place of trust. The belief that, that if we just understood the why, the what, the how, the when, then we could secure peace for our souls. David knew that's not the case. In fact, he said the only way to... He says, I've, I've calmed and quieted my soul. The, the, the actual word usage here is, is, a, is a picture of leveling. I've leveled my soul. I want that. Can I get that? Well, it is part of and tied to what he just said. There are things that are beyond me. So maybe it has more to do with letting go of things than it is figuring things out. What if? It has more to do with casting our cares than solving our cares. Somehow, in the midst of not knowing and not understanding, God is able to calm and quiet our souls. It's reaching to Jesus. Not to gain anything, but just because He's Jesus and we need Him. That's the weaned child part. Like a weaned child. A weaned child reaching for his mom is now every baby can't hold their head up and have no idea what they're looking at 
but every baby knows where Dairy Queen is. If you know what I'm saying. Instinctually, they know. They don't know nothing. They don't even know who they're looking at. They don't know what they're looking at. But they know where Dairy Queen is. And, and so, to say like a weaned child reaching for its, its mom is to say that's not why. A weaned child reaching for his mom is not looking for the blizzard. The weaned child reached for the mom wants mom. And I, I've said this phrase for years and years. I heard it along the way somewhere. But, but we are very good at, at, at seeking God's hand, but not necessarily his face. Lord, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy, not, I just need you. Now, maybe part of that is why we start living in our heads and not our hearts, because, again, faith is not rationale, it's relationship. To build relationship, to connect with Jesus just because he's Jesus, and, we, and he loves us, and we, we love him, as opposed to Jesus, this stinks, can you fix it? Talk to you later. Peter in the story, is completely out of his depths, obviously. And Peter does the only thing that he knows to do in that moment. He's sinking, and what does he do? He cries out, Lord, save me. I, I, uh, I learned how to swim late in life, about two weeks ago. And so I, um, I took classes Aqua toddlers or whatever it's called. No, I'm kidding. So I, I, uh, I learned to swim a little later. And so I remember going to a, um, a, uh, a water, it was a swimming pool that had a water slide. And the pool at the bottom was pretty shallow. So I thought I can handle it, even though I can't swim or anything, I can handle it because you land and stand up, it's fine. Um, so you, you, they give you kind of this weird yoga mat and you, and you get on that and you slide down the water slide. And I remember I just, at the very end, I went kind of, you know, end over end. And I found myself, and I remember it vividly. I was young, but I remember it vividly. I was underneath water, and I didn't know what end was up. And immediately I was like, I'm drowning. And, uh, and all I remember seeing, I, I looked up, and back then, this is the 80s, right? Jelly bracelets was a big phenomenon. I saw an ankle with jelly bracelets on it. And I never saw the face, I never saw the rest of the person, but the person with the jelly bracelets on their ankle grabbed my arm and just pulled me up. Just, and left, just left. I never saw their face. Just some young lady, hopefully, uh, some young lady picked me up, put me there, and kept going. I was saved. And that person was Sonia. I'm kidding, it's a joke, totally. That'd be a great story though, oh my gosh! Show how much older she is than me. But anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, but th- th- this, this person saved me. I was saved. I had no other option. Now, I probably would have managed and figured it out, but I, in my head, I had no other option. I was the saved. This is Peter. He's sinking, and his hand's up, and he's like, I'm, Lord, save me. Gurgle, gurgle. And Jesus does. Now, when Peter says that, what is he doing functionally? Peter prayed. That's prayer. Peter prayed. Peter's in his head. He's sinking. He's overwhelmed. 
He's worried and bothered about so many things, like the story of Mary and Martha. He is completely consumed, and he prays. Now that same guy, I think this is interesting to note, the same guy, Peter, in this moment, calls out, Lord save me, prays. Some 30 years later, he writes this, cast your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. That same guy that had the same experience. I, I, love, I love considering holistically the person when they say the thing. I think that's important in terms of our relating to the Bible, connecting to the Bible. Let's talk about not just what's being said, but who's saying it. 30 years later, after almost dying in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm, he writes this. Take all your anxiety, take all your cares and concerns, and throw them at Jesus. And he tells us why we can. Because he cares about you. He loves you. He is faithful to save you. In fact, Christianity gets dicey when we start seeing ourselves as being together and stable and capable and competent. We are always perpetually here until we go home to be with Jesus in the category of the rescued. We are being rescued. Always. We're not, I once was lost, now I'm found, and no more problems. No, you once were lost, you're now found, but storms keep coming. This is a broken and fallen world. We have to continually cast our cares because cares keep showing up at our doorstep. It's like Amazon. They won't stop. Trust Jesus with your heart, with the cares and concerns that you have in your mind. And we can do that because He cares for us. Now, the Apostle Paul speaks to the same thing and I think these two scriptures go together beautifully. He says this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing. Now that's a silly sentence. But I, I think the meaning and the heart behind it is we can do something with this anxiety. We can cast it upon him. In everything, and this is how we do it, in everything, every situation, every circumstance, in every si single aspect of life by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and then what happens the peace of God which surpasses comprehension surpasses understanding it does something it it starts to take up residence in our heart it guards our hearts then it moves its way back up and starts guarding our minds also. All of that in Christ Jesus. That's a lot to dissect, but just really quickly, prayer has a specific purpose in our lives. It is not to twist the arm of God, to coerce the God of the universe to do my will. This prayer, we see it throughout the Bible. We talked about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane last week about what he did in prayer. Lord, this is awful. If there's any other way, let this cup pass, please. Then he moves as he's talking to God. You see him move. Nevertheless, 
not my will, yours be. There's to a place of trust. Peter cries out in his anxiety, his worry, Lord, save me. Jesus does. Now, would Jesus have let him drown had he not prayed? No. But then he, he pulls him out, and then he starts to calm. He's like, guys, where's your faith? He starts to calm the heart first. And he fixes the circumstances. He changes the circumstances only as he can. Then, as we pray, as we pray, as prayer is part of our life, and, and, and I love the, the, the way that's laid out here. Pray about everything. Prayer and supplication. Supplication is pleading. God, please. So you're making your request known. So you're praying for what you lack. You lack peace. You lack direction. You, you lack something. You pray for what you lack. But simultaneously, it says pray with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is for what you have. So be conscious in your anxiety and in your lack that you have Jesus. So Peter looks at the winds and the waves and says, that's a storm, I'm on water, but that's Jesus. Jesus is greater than this. So as you do that, then this supernatural thing happens where peace starts to come to you. Jesus says, my peace I leave, my peace I give. Peace with God and peace from God. And that is continual present perfect tense. Continual peace from God as we need it continually. It is channeled into our hearts and our lives. And it is not, peace is not a mental destination. You can't figure it out. That's why the Bible says here, it surpasses, it bypasses our understanding. Your circumstances look crazy, but I have peace. See, what we think is God fix the circumstances so that I can manufacture peace on my own. God bypasses that and says, I'll just give you peace in every circumstance. Because He's the Prince of Peace, not your circumstance. The world is not your source. Your circumstances are not your source. Your job is not your God. Your, the way you feel, the way you think, the, way you, the feelings you have, your, the way you are mentally, that is not God. God is God. Peace isn't the fruit of figuring things out in our heads. It is the fruit of trusting God in our hearts. It is a fruit of the Spirit. Peace surpasses understanding, guards our hearts, and then it begins to work on our thoughts. We'll talk more about that as the series progresses, but our thoughts, our mind, is not just is what it is. God revolutionizes the way we think. We have the mind of Christ. Last week we talked about that, that moment, like I said, the Garden of Gethsemane. God, Jesus moving in prayer from His head to His heart. That's, that's the gift of prayer to all of us, is, is, is God's able to, in that place of prayer, moving us to a place of, from a place of uh, trying to figure things out, doing our best to try, and, and moving us to a place of trust. Uh, to, to allow the things that are too lofty for us, that fit in the God category, to be cast upon Him in that moment and say, God, I can't figure this out. This is above me. Peace is not, I, I hate to say this to you, and, and I know the prayer warrior thing is a big deal since, you know, the 80s, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I, prayer is not a place of strength. It's a place of weakness. We're hitting our knees and saying, I can't. 
is a gift from God to move us to a place of trusting the, the sufficiency of God's grace for us. Um, I'm learning through this process how detrimental living in my head is. And if I'm honest with you, living in my head makes me want to quit. It makes me want to give up. It makes me want to, to throw in the towel. But um, I'll tell you, I'll wrap up my little side of the story real quick, and, and then we'll close. Um, I'm, this is all fresh, like I said, and in fact, I'm on the phone with my beautiful and brilliant wife Friday night. I was here working at the space, and um, I just, I'm feeling overwhelmed, and, and I called her, and uh, what she said to me was to, instead of living in that constant place of storm and waiting for the other shoe to drop, bracing myself to, for heartbreak, uh, it was her encouragement to just enjoy now. Uh, the gifts that the people God has brought into my life are here now. Live here and enjoy. It's an open-handed, free experience without conditionality or strings attached. And I began, when I got off the phone with her, I began to pray. And what she said resonated, but it didn't take root until I prayed about it. And as I'm praying, God moves me from my head to my heart. And it made me think of something, and this is silly. I, I've used the same bank since I was 18 years old. And they had a branch here. And when we moved here, I, I you know, set all that up. And over time, there was two gals that worked at that bank who were a hoot. Uh, every time I went, we had a blast. And I stayed there longer than I should have. And we cut up and we laughed. April and Ava, and they were a joy. And they were hilarious. And it was like, it was like, a, um, it was like, it was like an Abbott and Costello routine that they had going. It was amazing. It was so much fun. Um, April got another job, and she left. And then eventually Ava got another job, and she left. And I walked into my bank, and I saw strangers, and I was like, I hate these people. Um, I was at the bank Friday, and um, the person who works there is hilarious. And, um, and he said to me, hey, Chris, we're not here for a long time. We're here for a good time. And uh, I was like, speaking of fortune cookies, <laughs> and he said that, and, and that what he said, silly, it stayed with me. It's like, yeah, circumstances are going to come and go, ebb and flow. Just live right here. Live right here. Even the Bible says in the Sermon on the Mount, you, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got his own stuff. Live here. And that is such a gift and such a joy and such a beautiful thing. We're all going to experience heartbreak and change and the tide's going to come and it's going to go, ebb and flow, storms are going to come. To be in the moment and say, God, what a joy. That's the thanksgiving of prayer. God, thank you for this. And, in, and when things get challenging and heartbreak sets in, 
and the storms come, that is the moment where we, by faith, pray. We go and, and we go straight to the source. I can't control circumstances. He's in control. By faith, I don't have to be, I don't have to, I can't control circumstances, but I don't have to be controlled by them either. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He's my, he's my foundation. My hope is tethered, or my, my, my soul is tethered to the hope of Christ. I'm tied to him. And prayer is me being reminded of that reality. It is going back to the wellspring of my life, the faith that I have in Christ, and remembering Jesus is for me. Who can possibly be against me? It's the power of prayer. And we need to make that a fixture in our life because we desperately need it.